Thank you, Dan and choir and instrumentalists for beautiful music this morning. We continue in our sermon series this morning from the Gospel of John. Tonight we begin a new study in 1 Peter. Uh, the author could not be more important, the Prince of the Apostles, Peter himself, to the churches in Asia Minor who are struggling and suffering a word from Peter, a powerful word. We begin that study this evening here the sanctuary at six o'clock. Well, the whole world was captivated by the story of 12 boys and their soccer coach who became trapped within that flooded cave in Thailand. The soccer team members were age 11 through 16. They were just curiously exploring the cave in the northern province following their soccer game on June the 23rd, 2018. While they were in there, the flood waters rose. There was no clear way out for the boys. Their families didn't know what had happened to them. They were assumed dead by many, and Navy SEALs were able to reach them, providing them with protein drinks and minor medical care for the moment. Authorities thought about every possible way to get them out, pumping the water out, well, to allow the boys enough headroom to swim out if need be. But that plan did not prove workable. Kian Kamlung, mother of a 16-year-old soccer player trapped in the cave, was fearful at first that her son had died, that she had lost her son forever. Upon hearing that they were trapped and yet doing okay, still alive, the mother said, it is like he has been given new life. It is as if he has been given new life. With the rainy season lasting through October, some experts feared the boys would have to make their home in that dark cave for months on end until the water level dropped naturally sufficient enough for them to, to walk out. But others said that wouldn't work at all. And as you remember, when all alternatives were deemed as doomed, the soccer team was saved by this international operation. The boys were medicated to relax them, given an oxygen mask, placed on stretchers as expert divers took hours with each soccer team member to ferry them through the water-filled caves. While these 13 men, young boys, found new life, and being rescued from the darkness of death in the cave. All of us who have believed in Jesus are transformed from certain death and destruction, John tells us this morning, to being born again to new life, beginning again with the second birth. Each one of us who has professed Jesus Christ as Lord understands what it means to have, as a soccer player's mother said, to have a second chance at life, a new birth from above. Now, unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which we call the synoptic gospels, in the gospel of John, 
Jesus has long conversations with the characters found in the gospel. Now, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus speaks. You can see that if you have a, a red letter edition of the New Testament, but usually his speaking is short, pithy sayings, almost proverbial in nature and genre as he speaks. It is only in John's gospel where Jesus has these extended conversations with the other characters, and we learn more about Jesus by what he says to them. In fact, our next two sermons today, we have a conversation with a Pharisee, with a ruler of the Jews named Nicodemus, and then next week we have a conversation with a character totally unlike Nicodemus, with a sinful Samaritan woman that Jesus happens to meet at the well. Well, in this long conversation, we learn much about who Jesus is. Well, let's look at chapter 3 and verse 1. I, I call this verse Nicodemus. Nicodemus 3.1. Now, there's a, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, the last action in John's gospel is the turning over of the tables of the money changers. Following that, we flow into a conversation between Jesus, and we learn two important things about this character. First of all, he's a Pharisee. Now, Pharisees were dedicated to keeping God's law and all the traditions of men. They were dedicated to being completely obedient to God. In fact, the Pharisees were quite sure that they had found the path of salvation in keeping the law. He was a teacher. He was the teacher, we'll find out. So he's a Pharisee, a keeper of the law, but secondly, he's also a member of the Jewish high court. He's an elder of the Jews, meaning he's a member of the Sanhedrin, the high court in Judaism. Now, as the saga unfolds, we will learn that Though pleasing to God, Nicodemus must learn that keeping the law is not the path to salvation. From this radical rabbi named Jesus, Nicodemus will discover that rebirth is the only way to have a place in the kingdom of God. Now, you might say, now he's a Jewish authority. Why would he approach Jesus after Jesus has taken the scourge of cords and cleaned out the temple and overturned the tables? Well, the reason that doesn't bother Nicodemus so much is he's a Pharisee. It is the Sadducees who love the temple and the power of the temple, not so much the Pharisees. They love the law and keeping the law. And so, quite frankly, secretly, Nicodemus might have smirked that someone had at last put those Sadducees who loved the temple in their place. Why, the Pharisees were the popular ones. Sometimes we think of them as being the villains of Scripture, but they were not to people in the first century. They were the ones who loved the law of God and kept the law of God. They were more popular with the people than the rich aristocratic Sadducees who loved being around the temple. So Nicodemus, popular with the people, the teacher, the Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, was a member of the high court. 
Now we understand the scene better. Look what's happening here. We have the perfect representative of God, the only begotten Son of God, we'll learn, meeting face to face with the perfect representative of Judaism. God in Jesus meets Judaism, Pharisaical Judaism, and Nicodemus. Here they come face to face. Verse 2, I call night. Verse 1 is Nicodemus. Verse 2 is night. Look at it. This man came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, much has been made about Nicodemus coming under the cover of darkness to meet with this rabbi, Jesus. Is it that he, someone with all the right credentials, is a little bit embarrassed to be going over to the rabbi who doesn't have any of the usual trappings of being a religious leader, so he doesn't want the other Pharisees or members of the Sanhedrin to see that he actually is curious about the power of this rabbi named Jesus? It could be that case, but I think even more importantly, we need to see how John uses the word night throughout this gospel. Night is representative in John's gospel as moral and spiritual darkness. And so in John 3 and John 9 and John 11 and John 13, for something to be at night, darkness is spiritual and moral darkness. So Nicodemus's night was more dark than he had ever imagined. Nicodemus initiates the conversation, rabbi or teacher, he's respectful to Jesus. Even though you lack the credentials, he must be thinking in his mind, I can tell you are from God because of the signs that you do. For no one can do the signs that you do unless he comes from God. Remember last week we looked at these signs these signs that cause the disciples to believe and the crowd to believe. And we saw that in John's gospel, we have these six signs that point us to the fact that Jesus is the Christ. I, I see your miracles, Rabbi, and no one can do those miracles, those signs, unless God has sent him. So on one level, we have an official representative of Judaism coming to inquire about this powerful miracle worker. And on another level, we have Nicodemus coming face to face with the Son of God himself. Well, Nicodemus uses the plural pronoun. Look at verse 2. Rabbi, we know. It's not just Nicodemus. There are some other Pharisees, too, who are wondering, what about this renegade rabbi by the name of Jesus? The question Nicodemus is asking is a fundamental question, question that all of us must ask. I see what you do. What I don't know is who you are. I see what you can do, but I don't know 
who you are. Who are you, Jesus? Verse 3, I entitle that kingdom of God. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus wastes no time with conversational niceties, but rather he gets to the crux of the conversation immediately. Unless you're born again, Nicodemus, you will not have a seat at the table of God. Now, the other gospel writers talk a lot about the kingdom of God. John does not. He only speaks of it here, but he means the same thing. For God rules and God reigns for all eternity. You must be born, notice the word, again. The word there is anothen. You must be born anothen. It can mean two different things. It can mean you must be born from above, or it can mean you must be born again. Well, Nicodemus takes it to mean again. And so that's probably their primary sense here. You must be born again. But everywhere else that John uses this word and this gospel, he uses it in the sense of from above. So let's translate it this way. Nicodemus, you must be born again from above or you will not see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. By the way, every time you see that truly, truly, maybe your translation says verily, verily, every time you see that, it's from John. If you're playing the Bible quiz game and the, the verse says truly, truly, or verily, verily, you raise your hand and say John because that's the only place that we have that particular construction. Three, four, mother's womb. Mother's womb. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Nicodemus' thoughts were along these lines. Man cannot start life over again. Man cannot start life over again. There's a little fourth grader in Amarillo last week who seldom ever pays attention and rarely contributes to the classroom conversation. He astonished his teacher a few weeks ago when out of the blue he informed his peers, his fellow fourth graders, he said, you can look back, but you can't go back. Where'd that come from? The kids never paid attention. He's a great philosopher now in the fourth grade. You can look back, but you can't go back. That's what Nicodemus is saying. You can look back, but you can't start life all over again. Each of us is a sum total of all of our yesterdays. Through the years, we built up a bundle of doubts, uncertainties, wishes, fears, hopes, and habits, both good and bad. Is Jesus really saying that we can break from our yesterdays, that we can experience a new beginning? How could this possibly be? How can we begin life's journey all over again? We can't re-enter the womb, can we? Well, five through seven, water in spirit, water in spirit. 
Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water, birth number one, and Spirit, birth number two, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, you'll see all sorts of scholars try to determine what it means to be born of the water. Well, the best rule of interpreting Scripture is that Scripture interprets Scripture before you try to interpret it. So look at verse 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh. There's your water. What do we say when the lady has to head to the hospital? Her water has broken. That which is born of water is water. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Verse 6 interprets verse 5. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The second time of the Spirit. Now, flesh in John is not an evil idea like it is in Paul sometimes. When Paul speaks of the flesh, he means our sinful, wayward flesh. Not so in John. Because remember all the way back at our first sermon... And, and John 1, 14, what did the Word, what did Jesus become? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Flesh is not a bad thing. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit, he tells us. Well, we must be born of the Spirit, 3-8, 3-8 Spirit. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. 3-8, the key word is Spirit. Now, the word translated Spirit in Greek text is pneuma. It can mean breath, Spirit, wind. Pneuma means all of those things. And so we have multiple layers of meaning here. Why, well, look at the wind. You don't know where it originates. You don't know where it's going. It is full of mystery. So are those who are born of the Spirit of God. Reminds us of Ezekiel 37, doesn't it? Where God's breath, God's spirit, God's wind comes down on that valley of dry bones and calls them back to life, a rebirth again. That which is born the first time is the first time but you must be born a second time of the Spirit. 10 through 12 is teacher of Israel, teacher of Israel. Jesus answered to him, are you, notice, notice the article, are you the teacher? Nicodemus was well respected. Are you the teacher, not a teacher? Are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, there it is again, the double construction. I say to you, we speak that which we know, and we bear witness to that which we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things, you do not believe. How you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Why? Nicodemus has just learned that he has been focusing on God's commands, and he needs to focus on God's condition. And God's condition is one. You must be born again. Now, what had been a dialogue between this rabbi 
And this Pharisee now becomes a monologue. Nicodemus realizes the rabbi has trumped him, and all he needs to do now is sit in silence and listen. Look at all the red in your Bible now. Now it is only Jesus who speaks because Nicodemus doesn't know how to answer him. The teacher of Israel's problem is at this point is not that he that he lacks knowledge, but rather he is missing a transformation of his heart. 313, heaven. And no one's ascended into heaven, but he who's descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. Nicodemus, I can speak away in a way that you cannot speak. I have authority that you do not have because I myself have left that eternity, the kingdom of God. I have descended here to earth, and no one has ascended to heaven, but I have descended down, he says. In fact, in, in John's gospel, more than any other gospel, we're reminded of the heavenly home of Jesus in the beginning was the Word, John 1. And the Word was with God. 14 and 15, lifted up, lifted up. As Moses was lifted up, the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. Reminds us of, of Numbers 21 when the ancient Israelites have been bitten by serpents and they're all dying. And God says to Moses, make a bronze serpent and, and lift it up on a pole. And, and everyone who will look to it in faith will be saved and will not die. This language of lifted up means lifted up on the cross. He'll be crucified. This language of lifted up means lifted up to glory, that he'll ascend to heaven. Like just like ancient Israel was saved by looking to the one lifted up, I will be lifted up. And all who look to me will be saved. And then that verse we know so well in verse 16, eternal life eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Now the Jews thought about God loving the Jews. They didn't think about God loving the world. But God loves all nations and all peoples. In fact, Abraham existed so that through him, what? All the nations would be blessed, the book of Genesis. For God so loved the world that he gave the gift, the lifting up of his son, that whoever looks to his son, whoever believes in him, will not perish, but have forever life. Then 17 through 18, salvation and judgment. He tells us that those who believe are saved and those who do not believe are condemned already. To say that those who are born again have forever life is likewise to say that those who are not born again do not have forever life. The message is this. Our future eternity is based upon whether or not we are born again. 19 through 21, we have darkness and light. 
And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light and their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be manifest as having been wrought in God. Nicodemus, the teacher, a Pharisee, a member of the Jewish high court, the Sanhedrin, probably pretty proud, didn't want to be seen, goes to meet Jesus at night, representing the other Pharisees, says, hey, we know that God's with you, or you couldn't do all these miracles, these signs. And Jesus says, stop it right there. Only one thing matters. You will not see the kingdom of God if you're not born again from above. It's all that matters, Nicodemus. I don't talk to you about anything else. All that matters is your eternal salvation, and you will not. This isn't me speaking. This is Jesus speaking. You will not see the kingdom of God unless you are born again from above. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, thus being born again, born not of the flesh, but this time of the spirit, will not perish, but will have forever life. Well, what happens to Nicodemus? How's the story end? In chapter 7, the authorities are being tough on Jesus. And Nicodemus says, hey, 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 we don't find any man guilty unless he has a trial, do we? Or more importantly, in chapter 19, he and Joseph of Arimathea, another member of the Sanhedrin, they go and retrieve Jesus' body. And they anoint it with the expense of myrrh and aloes and give Jesus a burial. I think meaning that this Nicodemus, who not only stands up for Jesus in the gospel, so much so that they say, hey, you're one of his followers, aren't you, Nicodemus? And then goes, would you care that much to bury someone you didn't love? that it is this Nicodemus who actually buries the body of our Lord along with Joseph Farimathea. Nicodemus, you must be born a second time. And I think he was. I think he swallowed his pride and came to Jesus and realized that commandment keeping was not the answer. And I think Nicodemus was born again from above. What about you? All eternity for you hinges on a second birth. I know you've been born the first time you're sitting here. But the only thing that matters is, will you be? Have you been born a second time? Truly, truly, I say to you, you must be born again.
Let us pray. Oh God, perhaps there's someone here in this room or someone watching by way of television, and it is their day to say yes to the Lordship of Jesus. It is their day to look to the one who's lifted up of the cross to know that with him they can begin again. They can be forgiven. They can be free. They can be born anew again from above. So we bring our sin We bring our own darkness and we come to your cross. We acknowledge that Jesus has died for our sins, that we could start all over, that he is the one and only source of forever life. And in the name of that rabbi who spoke with Nicodemus, we pray. Amen.